Good morning, Grace. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, one of the greatest minds uh, the United States has ever produced, wrote a religious masterpiece called Religious Affections. And he was trying to put words to his experience as a pastor on why they were nominal Christians and, and then why and how to describe real Christians, the, the ones that seemed to just know about God and those who actually had a relationship with God. And the conclusion that he came to in Religious Affections is summarized nicely in the life of Jacob that, we're going, that we've been looking at for, what, five weeks now? And what he decided was that, like Jacob, people, people use God as a means to an end. They're just going, they're just, they use a deity to get something from God. That's just, they just want things from God. And a, a true Christian, that was a nominal, that's what he was, that is, is he or isn't he? But the true Christian sees God not as a means and not even as an end, but as the end, the end of all things, the, the all goodness lead to him and knowing him and having a relationship with seeing his face. And in Genesis chapter 32, we're going to see a story of a new day for Jacob because Jacob has been using God. He's just been rubbing the lamp whenever he needs some help. And, and God's going to put an end to being the means in Jacob's life. This will be a life-transforming, life-altering experience in the life of Jacob. This will radically change him. He will have a new identity at the end of this story. This is the story of a life-transforming encounter with Yahweh. You might have heard it. Genesis chapter 32. That night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives and his two maidservants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. And after he had <clears throat> sent them across the stream and sent over all of his possessions, so now Jacob was left alone. And then a man wrestled him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless first you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you want to know my name? Then he blessed them right there. And Jacob called the place Peniel. It was because he saw the face of God. This is what he said. I call it Peniel because I saw the face of God, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed over Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near that very tendon. That's the story. Jacob wrestles with the man. Jacob wrestles with God. Many of us, we treat God as the Lord of our predicament. He's the God of, oh no. He's the king of bail me out. He's the one we call for a rescue. And until we are in a place of crisis, we say, could you 
It's like not stand so close. Can you be at a cool distance, maybe over there in the shade? No, a little further, especially in areas where we are good, right? In the areas where we're confident. You know, you just don't tell Peter how to fish, okay? Stay there. I'll call you when I need you in my next crisis. That's how many of us live. And that is certainly the way Jacob has been living. And God steps in and says, no more. This is Jacob being born again, again. This is Jacob's story. He's a conniver. He's a cheater. He's a charlatan. He's a snake oil salesman way before his time. His name means heel grabber. That means he's a wrestler. He's a grappler. He's always looking for the upper hand. He's always looking for an angle. He's always trying to take from someone. He's jockeying for positions. It's always taking advantage. It's always getting. It's always stealing. Most everything he has, he's been able to get through swindling. That's Jacob's story. And in this story, in this story, Jacob is wrestling way out of his weight class. Jacob wrestles God. And this will change him. This is his defining moment. A defining moment in our lives is where God steps in and says, no more. He breaks us away from the games that we're playing and it fundamentally asks, who do you value? Who's the most important? Who's the king? Who's the king? Who rules your life? Is it going to be you or me? And in these moments, we fight and we struggle and we wrestle and we're exhausted, we are defeated, and then we're victorious and then we're free. That's the pattern. That's the way defining moments work. The context of this story is it's been a very big week for Jacob. Yesterday, just yesterday, he had a confrontation with Laban. Laban's his uncle. He's been living with Aban for 20 years, and that relationship didn't end well. You did you notice no relationships with Jacob ever seemed to end well. And after 20 years, he realizes he needs to get out of town, and so Jacob slithers out of town in the middle of the night with all of his wealth and his wives and his children while Laban was three days away in another town. Laban finds out about this and hunts Jacob and his possessions down for seven days, catches up to him in the mountains. And the night before he's to meet with Jacob, God has a visitation with Laban in a dream, and he says, Thy shalt not touch Jacob. And so Laban shows up frustrated. The God of the crisis shows up again. And Jacob's been saved one more time. But that was yesterday. Tomorrow, Jacob meets Esau, his big brother, his older brother by just a few seconds. And it's been 20 years since he's seen him. The last time he saw Esau, he had stolen, heel grabbed, wrestled his blessing and his birthright from him. And Esau was angry, murderously angry, and promised to kill him. And tomorrow, Jacob has to face Esau for the first time. And you would think, uh, Jacob's thinking what we would think, and that was the, that the years has, have probably not softened him. He's probably been marinating 
and bitterness. Time does not cure all illnesses. Sometimes time is, is like an infection. And so he has every expectation that this will not go well for him. And so he calls upon the Lord. Jacob prays. He prays a conventional prayer, a polite prayer. I don't know. When I read this, I feel a little bit of a manipulation. You, you know, you promised me, God. I'm not against that. But oh, he brings in the wife and kids. This seems, I don't know. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me. And also the mothers and their children, God. We saved the children. But, but you've said, I will surely make you prosper and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So Jacob prays. And then Jacob schemes because Jacob is Jacob. And this is what he does. This is what he does best. He's on his own. He's got to make sure things are cared for. He has all the plans worked out. So plan A is to diversify his assets. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And so he splits his wealth into two different parts. And he sends one, what, north, I guess, and, say, and then the other one a little bit south. And he says, look, 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 if they attack these guys, you run for it. And then he turns to this group and says, but if they attack this other group, you run for it. I mean, this is some pep talk, right? You know, the drill sergeant, maybe half of us will survive this reunion. Good luck, everybody. Break. That's part A. Plan B is just bribery and flattery. <laughs> Jacob is just going to just send wave after wave of, of gifts and, and, and glory to his brother Esau. I mean, just, just a flood. He's hoping it's just this flood of this onslaught. Will, will knock Esau over and make him be kind. He has all the questions that Esau might have in his mind and the responses already premeditated out. He's, he's going to make sure all of his herdsmen were memorized their lines of a flirtatious self-aggrandizement, right? Jacob has a plan. And then he will grovel at the feet of Esau he will grab his heel again. The plan is five waves of gifts, five of them, uh, 550 head of, of some kind of you know, livestock. And, and each time, each time, there's a punchline as they're introduced. So Esau is supposed to be coming up on this uh, encounter with Jacob, and he sees you know, over the horizon, pretty much what would be considered a parade in his honor. Lavish gifts, the sheep, and then the goats, and then the camels, and then the cattle, and don't forget the donkeys. It's all coming his way. And each time there's a point uh, shepherd rancher working the front, and it's like, know your lines, say your lines, Get this down right. And this is what they're to say. He commanded the one in front saying, now when my brother meets you and asks you and says, to whom do, you, do these belong and where are you going and to whom do these animals in front of you belong, you're to say, these belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he is also behind us. This should soften Esau, a king's ransom. How could he be mad now? And just so that you understand, I'm not reading into this, look at the next sentence. It says, for Jacob thought, 
I will pacify him with these gifts that I'm sending him ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will, he will accept me. Plan A, diversify, check. Plan B, flood him. Flood him with gifts and compliments, check. Now Jacob needs to be alone. And so he sends his family over on the other side of the Jabbok River, comes back to the other bank, and he's sitting there thinking, has he thought of everything? Are there any loose ends? Is there a possible contingency I haven't thought of? And he's all alone. He's naked and ashamed. He's living with, a, with the consequences of all of his decisions. Laban behind him, Esau in front of him. And this is the way he lives life. He has to live life alone because that's the life of a con man. You you can't entrust yourself to others and no one's going to entrust themselves to you. He's learned to look out for himself, right? God helps those who help themselves, Jacob 1.1. And so he is there and he's ready because he's thought of everything. And then... And then a man comes. A man shows, and it's an ambush. He, this, he's being attacked. This is a mugging. This is not some high school fight you might have been in or saw where everybody's hoping that a coach jumps in and breaks this up. This is an assault. This is no holds bar. This is biting, eye gouging, hair pulling. This is to death. And Jacob knows that early on. And so the adrenaline surge that happens in his life and causing his his mind to focus and and time to slow down, but also just the throbbing heartbeat in your ears that cause you almost be deaf. And then there's the the fighting and the grabbing, right? Bodies are sweaty and slippery. So how do you hold on now? You grab and claw for the bones. And these men are wrestling around, and the word is used as dirt. They are in the dirt together. Their eyes sting from the sweat and the dirt and the mud coming in. Their lungs are burning from having to pant and grasp. And here's the thing. Jacob's thinking, look, I can win this fight. I am Jacob. I'm the heel grabber. I'm a wrestler. I'm a grappler. In my mother's womb, I did a single leg takedown. I've been doing this for so long, and if you look at my win-loss record, I win all the time. Sure, Laban had me for a while, but I learned new skills. I'm the one that walked away with all the stuff. So he thinks he can win this. He's a complete man, he's described. He has wit and he has brawn. But there's something very strange about this encounter. Because there's Jacob, is, there are situations where he feels like he has the upper hand and he's ready to submit him, and then suddenly there's a burst of energy and he's out of this submission. And then other times he feels like the man is about to crush him and annihilate him, but then he starts pulling punches. He feels like this man is more than a man, and he may even be toyed with. In the horizon, he sees that the sun is starting to break. Dawn is coming. And so the man says, I must leave. And Jacob won't let him. And so the man just touches. It's a mere tap. It, it's, a, it's a barely a glance. It's a slight contact with his hip. And then <laughs> the incredible pain, the searing pain of quite probably his hip has been dislocated. 
Now, you and I, we could have a dislocated hip. We'd need a car wreck to get us there, most of the people in this room. We'd have to be hit by a car. That's a tight joint. Those are dense bones. And this defining moment is brought to you by God himself, the angel of the Lord, God in flesh, maybe even Jesus himself. This is no man. This is God. And if you would picture this, I'm just, I'm just thinking this. Okay, it's not in the Bible. But what if? So, so Jacob's been touched on the hip bone, and now he falls to, to the ground in agony. The man, God, wants to leave before the sun is full, and he, it, Jacob would see his face and die. And so he's walking away. Jacob's on the ground. Jacob won't let him go. Jacob has grabbed him. Where does he grab a man walking away? He grabs his heel. There he is again, Jacob grabbing the heel. Like at birth, like at born again, like at rebirth. When he was born, he was doing that. When he's reborn, he does that. This is Jacob all over again. He realizes this is God, and he says, you don't leave. You, unless you give me a blessing, give me a blessing. And so the Lord says to him, what is your name? And that's odd. You think God's one? Let's see. I didn't know. Are you Esau? No. Right, you're Jake. He's not being informed. He's not asking for information. The Lord is asking for a confession. He's, he's asking for an admission. Say it. Let me hear you say your name. You need to hear you say it. The last time you were getting a blessing and someone asked your name, you said Esau. So what's your name? Who are you? What are you? What is the nature of your existence? And he says, Jacob, I'm the heel grabber. I'm the grappler. I'm the hustler. I'm the con man. I'm the manipulator. I'm the conniver. I am Jacob. There, I see it. And God says to us, he asks us the same question. He says, what is your name? Who are you? To be born again and to be born again again. It begins with this question. Who are you? Are you aware? <laughs> what, is your, what is even your nature? Say it out loud. Let me hear it. Let you hear it. That's what he asked from us. To be born again, you say, I am, I am guilty. I'm guilt itself. I am shame. I am weakness. And he says, right. How about a new name? How about justified? How about honor? What if we put on your name tag power? Innocent sounds better than guilt, doesn't it? Yeah. Wear that. 
So he renames us. He gives us a new identity. That's what it takes to get into his family. But to be born again, again, it happens because we, it is required because people in his family, when they're young, and it goes, unfortunately, into way too long in their life with God, they're holding something back. And sometimes that something is good, but they won't turn it over to the Lord. Something good, you know, uh, it becomes an idol. Uh, an idol often is a, a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. And so it could just be something like family or, or marriage or what, it, just financial stability. But somehow it becomes an idol. Say it. What's your name? And sometimes it's just sin. It's a way of making life work. It's a way of making sure you get what you want. And God says, but no more. No more. Those days are done. What's your name? Say your name. I am greed. I'm an addict. I'm the victim. I'm the picture of vanity. I need to be liked. I, my idol for two years was I am a Cassidy. And it was a good thing. But it started to rule my life, and he said, mm, I'm going to need that. Look at the carnage around you in the relationships you have. They'll tell you your name. Now, Lauren says, say it. What is your name? And then when you do, and when you do, he says, okay, then. How about a new name? How about I give you a new life? How about we start over with a whole different identity? Because that's what it'll do. And so he says in Jacob's life, he says, no more, Jacob. Your name is Israel because you have wrestled with God and your fellow man and have prevailed. That word prevail, in case you don't know, means you are victorious. You won. He's calling Jacob a winner, lying there in the dirt screaming. God broke him. He's, he is yielded and he becomes the victor because Jacob is free now. Jacob is free. And the freedom came with his confession. Because upon his confession, God renames him and he says, yeah, Jacob, you're a loser. And now I say you're a winner. You are bad. And I say you are good. And do you know why that's happening here in this story? Because the author wants you to know that the hero of this story is Yahweh. It's God. The hero is always God. And Jacob has a consistent track record of doing nothing but selfish ambition to get what he wants. And God keeps coming in and say, grace can transform you. Only grace can transform you. He says, I saw the face of God and lived. That that was his blessing. And, and, and he's able to be born again, again, because God said, I'll change things. I'll impute this. That's a fancy word. I will put this on you because I can. I have declared a new identity for your life. And what is God trying to do in your life? What would he, what, what would he do to change you, what identity would, would he give you if you just, what, what is your name? Just tell him your name. 
He keeps the, the, the question that is perpetually before us because of who he is and what he's done is just this series of who's it going to be, you or me? Who's in charge of your life? Who's the possessor of your soul? Who's the king who has a right to rule? Who defines you? Just let him touch you. Just let him tap you. And he'll free you. And he'll bless you. That's the story we all are supposed to be hoping to live with. Man bless this, this man who was no mere man blessed Jacob. And by the way, it says in the passage that he blessed him right then. He blessed him right then, right there. And so what was the blessing? What was the blessing? Maybe the blessing was his limp. Because it's, it's this wound now. This is Jacob, the man who stood tall and walked proud and, will do, and now will do neither. Now he stands and walks with a limp, a gimp. He's, he's, been, he's been living a crooked life his whole life, and now he walks a crooked life. Now he stumbles. Now he drags a foot. Now he has this gift of the thorn of the flesh. He has this reminder. That's what it is. That's the blessing. He has this reminder that he can always, with every step, that the key to life is dependence, not independence. The key to his enjoyment of life is being with God. And now he can lead with a limp. He can, he can go and be the patriarch he was supposed to be, but now, now a new man. Every step Every step brings him back to the Jabbok River and helps him remember, right, that this, this confession led to a defeat that, that brought about a victory and this blessing. And it started with a confession. Now he has a whole new paradigm to look at on what is success. Success is being with God and dependent upon God, and he remembers it every time his foot hits the ground. Maybe the blessing was the sunrise, because now yesterday is today, or I'm sorry, tomorrow is today. Now it's, it's Esau day. Maybe that was the gift. Because when the morning breaks and the sun rises, he has to deal with what is absolutely coming his way. And he looks up and he sees this cloud of dust and dirt coming at him because it is 400 horsemen. And at the point of this army is this man in red, Esau, his brother. And they're closing, they're charging, and Jacob is Jacob. And even after this, with this dragging foot, this limp, he hits the play button on this, on this circus of manipulation and says, places, everyone, don't forget your lines. And then the only thing changes is, is maybe Jacob is showing a sign of being this new man. He takes, he takes the front where the plan was that he would be in the back behind literally the women and children. So here's what happens. Jacob divided the children among, among Leah, Rachel, and the two other maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in the front, and then Leah and her children next, and then Rachel and Joseph near the rear. He was supposed to be behind them. But he himself, he went on ahead 
in front, and he bowed down seven times as he approached his brother. Here's the blessing. God shows up. The way this is written in Hebrew is the way I'm going to show it because it's, the verbs are coming at you so fast, and the author wants you to know who's doing the verbing. Who's doing all the moving? And so here's the next sentence. But Esau, Esau ran to Jacob, and Esau embraced him, and Esau threw his arms around his neck, and Esau kissed him, and then they wept. The prodigal son has returned, but in this story, the older brother couldn't have been any happier. The older son ran to the brother. This is the story that has a different ending. Jacob says earlier, he said, I I saw the face of God and lived. And when he sees Esau, he says, to see you is like seeing the face of God. They're so similar in in the worldview of Jacob because to, to approach Esau was to approach the face of God. He had to do that saturated in guilt. He had to do that with great fear. He had to approach God and approach Esau with an idea of self-protection and expectations of annihilation. And then how does Esau respond? The way God responds. It is Esau that runs to him. It is Esau that throws his arms around Jacob. It is Esau that kisses him. It is Esau that begins the weeping. Prepare the fatted calf. The one that was lost is now found. The one we thought was dead is alive. God celebrating a repentant heart. It's the theme of the Bible. Jacob's story is a story of redemption that came from wounds. It's the story of reconciliation that began with a confession. It is about not being self-made but self-forgetful. It's about the death of an ego, and the resurrection of a saint. Jacob is found filled, drowning in a swamp of his own consequences, and it is the Lord that reaches in there and pulls him out and puts a royal gown on him and says, follow me. That's what the story is about. God works with people in different ways. But he always requires the same thing. God works with people in different ways, but requires the same thing. He's perfect in all of his ways because he's a good father. And so with Jacob, he has a fist fight like unto death. His grandfather, Abraham, he, God, he just goes to lunch with Abraham. In Genesis 18, he just goes, he crashes in on a lunch with him and says, we should talk. Uh, and by the way, I, I want to announce that within this year, you know, there'll be, there'll be a miraculous conception with your wife. Oh, okay. I mean, that's how he works with some people. <laughs> uh, there's some uh, Jacob-like foxhole Christians like me that need a near-death experience to be able to hear over the deafening sound of my ego what is your name? What is your name? And so he, he deals with different people in different ways, but he expects the same in every follower. 
Because in Genesis 18, while he's going to lunch with Abraham and he's talking and calling him his friend, in Genesis chapter 22, again, with a calm and quiet voice, he says to Abraham, bring me your son, your only son, the one you love. I'll meet you at Mount Moriah in three days. He always requires the same thing. He requires everything. He wants all of you. He doesn't want games. He doesn't want idols. He does not compete. He is God Almighty. It's his throne. He should rule there. And, and he requires that of us. He requires that for us to be born again, and he requires us to be born again, again. Because somehow we go back to silly ways. And sometimes they have to be wrestled from us, and sometimes they have to be merely returned. Does anybody want a new name? Does anybody want a new identity, a new life, a new relationship? You want to dance? You're going to have to limp. This is the nature of God. The best gift you could ever give to yourself is to give yourself entirely to the goodness of God the Father who sent his only begotten son, the one whom he loved, to Mount Moriah so that you and I, we might enjoy being part of his family. It's a reasonable thing to do, to give your life over to him as a living sacrifice. There's some contrasting attributes of God, that he is harsh and he is embracing. He will wound you and he will bless you. He is not safe, but he is good. What is your name? Just say it. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your obedience to the Father that you might climb Moriah and be the sacrifice Jehovah Jireh provides. Lord, I would, I would ask that your love would not be in doubt so that when we surrender our lives to you completely, that we'd know it's the reasonable thing to do. Lord, I'd ask that uh, your spirit would speak to ours so that we might become aware of maybe some areas in our lives that have become idols, maybe some very good things and valuable things, even eternal things that have become a place of value that only you should enjoy. And Lord, if there's sin in our lives, because it works, I'd ask that you would cause it not to work. Lord, I'd ask for an invitation to come and wrestle. Let our lives be a blessing to, to you and to those around us because we chose to surrender to the only good God, the only good Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.